if you please to bow with me as we come to the scripture. Father in heaven, it isn't all about us, it's all about you. Uh, we are amazed that you've condescended to reveal yourself to us very personally, uh, not simply through creation, not simply through history, specifically through your word, but even more so in the person of Jesus through the very presence of your spirit. And so I pray for me, for us now, uh, that we could hear this word. God, take away distractions that may be there of the morning, of the week, of just our general personalities and lives, whatever there might be that would restrict this word from having its full play uh, in our lives. And uh, God, that you would overcome all of that so that we would hear it and that we would know you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Acts in chapter 2. Uh, <clears throat> I want to read uh, verses 36 through 41. Acts chapter 2, please. Verse 36. Hear the word of God. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I want to begin with this uh, expression in verse 37 that says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. You get this sense that after Peter had preached, after Peter had said what he said, after they saw what they had seen, on this particular day, as something moved them deeply, that expression cut, you get a sense of piercing, you get a sense of pain, you get a sense that there was something deep within them that they felt. They were cut, and they were cut to the very essence of their being. They were cut to the heart. And it moved them. At that moment, you get the impression that nothing else mattered, that nothing else was on their mind. That the only thing they could think about is what Peter had just said. That meant everything to them. And, it, and, it, and, 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 and there was nothing else that would cross their minds that that pressed in against them like, like nothing else had, like nothing else could, like nothing else would. And the only way to describe it, that they were cut, they were pierced, they were sliced deep in the very essence of their being, deep in their, in their heart. If you would have looked at them, I get a sense that you would have known that something was taking place within them. 
that it would have been expressed by their whole being, their whole countenance, their whole face, that everything about them, I don't know if it would be a grimace, a look of terror, or if it would look of fright, or what it would look like upon their face, but you get this sense that something deep was happening within them. They were cut to their heart, and what cut them, in essence, was information. What cut them, essentially, was truth. And it was truth applied to them by the Holy Spirit. There's a sense in which they had known everything that Peter had said to them in essence because they had been around, they had seen, they had heard about Jesus. And now it was put to them in such a way with the bearing of the Holy Spirit in them that cut them to the heart. At that point in time, they would realize that it wasn't just simply a man who was crucified. It wasn't just a political rabble-rouser whose campaign had been thwarted. It wasn't even a blasphemer, that is, someone who spoke against God. It wasn't simply a blasphemer who was silenced. It was Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the Messiah of God, the Christ, the Lord, who was crucified. And that information cut them deeply, cut them to the heart. And Peter said to them then, in summary, this Jesus whom you've crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. They would know what that had meant. It may be that Peter would have preached somewhat differently had he been preaching to a group of Gentiles, but he wasn't. He was preaching to a group of Israelites. He was preaching to a group of Jewish men who understood, in some sense, the Old Testament scriptures. And so he was able to appeal to them on that, on that basis. They would know what it meant that he was the Lord, this Jesus. They would know what it meant that he was the Christ, this Jesus. Because the word Christ is simply the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. And, and Christ literally means one who is anointed. And they would know that those in their history and their culture and their context who were anointed were prophets and priests and kings. And so to say that this one has been made by God Christ would mean that he must be not only a prophet, but the prophet. Must not simply be a priest, but the priest. Must not only be a king, but the king. And they would understand prophets, of course, to be the ones who would bring the very word of God to them. And thus, in saying to them that this Jesus, whom you've crucified, that is, you've rejected him. Do you know who you've, you've rejected? He's the one who has the truth. He's the prophet of God. He's the one, if you reject him, you reject everything that is true about God. It isn't no small thing. It's a huge thing to reject this one who is the Christ the prophet, the one who brings the very word of God. That's why Jesus could say to people, I've come to make the Father known. That's how he was described by the Apostle John. He's the one who's come to make the Father known. How can he do that? He's the prophet. He's the very truth of God. He's the one who can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I come to reveal him. I, I come to make him known. So if you see me, if you understand me, if you see what I've done, if you hear what I say, you're hearing, seeing God himself. That's why you could say, Jesus, I, am, I and the Father are one. That's why you could say, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. There isn't any other way to God. There isn't any other truth about God. Nothing else about God that you may know or think you know or hear or read is reliable, Jesus said. Unless it comes from me, ultimately. Because I'm the truth. I am the reliable one. Everything that I do is truth. Everything that I say is truth. It's truth about God. It's truth about you. It's truth. And it's reliable. You can trust it. And I'm the very one who brings, who brings life to you. And so you see, to reject Jesus, to crucify him, to cast him aside, to say he really isn't the very son of God, means that you're rejecting the truth, the prophet. You're rejecting everything that's true about God and you're living everything that's a lie. And that's what they would realize at this moment in time as the Holy Spirit brings this to bear on what has taken place. You've rejected the prophet. You've rejected the Christ. You've rejected the very one who is the truth, who is the truth of God. You remember that when Jesus was before Pilate, he was having a conversation and he and Pilate asked Jesus if he's the king, a king. And Jesus said, well, yes, all right, that's as you put it. He says, but I've come to bear witness of the truth. And Pilate says to Jesus, well, what is truth? And the apostle John, who's recording this for us, just leaves us hanging. Gives us no reply at all of Jesus about what is truth. If you keep reading down the page, you realize what is truth. It's the very cross of Christ. Jesus didn't have to say it. If he would have explained it at that moment in time, it would have made no sense. How do you explain something like that? The very Son of God dying. He said, this is truth. You want to know what's reliable. You want to know what you can depend upon. You want to know that you can bank on. You can bank on this cross because it does reveal God, his holiness, that there is consequence, there is judgment for sin, but also his love that there is one who will be your substitute and take sin for you that you might live. Ah, that's truth. You can trust that. You can bank on that. You can spend your whole life on that. You can sink deep into that. That will save you. That's truth. So when they recognized at that point in time that he was the Christ, it meant they had missed everything. And not only that, that they had missed the fact that he was their priest. They knew what a priest was. They knew that a priest was one who was anointed by God to represent the people before God. And therefore, they knew at that moment in time, in rejecting Jesus, then they would have to stand before God alone, on their own basis, by themselves, with no one to represent them. But they had missed the very fact that the Holy One of God was their priest. He was the one who would represent them before God. It was his holiness that would stand for them, his righteousness that would stand for them, that he would stand in their place. And not only that, they knew that priests offered sacrifices. And to think that they had rejected Jesus would mean that they had rejected the very sacrifice that, Jesus, that God had provided for them, the perfect Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. And it struck them at that moment in time that that's what they had done. And it pierced them, cut them to the heart. And they knew that they had rejected the king. Not only a king, but the king. You remember again with Pilate and Jesus. Uh, Jesus had to tell Pilate, 
don't be so afraid, Pilate. Actually, you should have been saying you should be more afraid than you actually are. Because my kingdom isn't of this world. It's a bigger kingdom than that. It transcends everything. It's overall. And when they realized that they had rejected Jesus, they had rejected God's very king, the very righteous one, the one who would bring justice and mercy into the world, the, the king of the kingdom of God, the one who was there to protect, protect them from all of their enemies, the material ones, the political ones, the spiritual ones, and to make provision for them in every single way that they needed. And at that moment in time, they realized that all was, that all was lost, for they had rejected Jesus, and it cut them to the heart. Because Peter said, listen, God has attested that this Jesus is from him. He's done it through these mighty works. And, and you have a sense at that point in time as they're listening to Peter preach about that. They're envisioning, they're seeing, they're remembering what they saw and what they heard about the mighty works of this one Jesus. And all of a sudden it dawns on them, yes, of course. How could we have missed that? How could we have thought that someone who could raise someone from the dead wasn't the very son of God? How could we not think that, that somebody who could make the lame walk wasn't the very son of God? How could we think that somebody who could, who could make blind eyes see wasn't the very son of God? How could we have missed that? How could we have been so blind? Who are we really? And at that point, don't you get the sense that they're cut to the very heart because they're not only seeing who Jesus is, but they're also seeing who they are themselves. And they're realizing they're the kind of people who could miss the very gift of a gracious and loving God and spurn it and turn it away. They don't want that. That's what's in their hearts. And they could see that then as wickedness and as evil. And you get the sense that they never thought of themselves that way before. They probably thought themselves pretty good guys. Here they were in the day of Pentecost, obeying the law of God, being in Jerusalem at whatever cost that was to themselves. Here they were for this celebration, this feast, to give thanks to God for the giving of the law and the, and the, and the harvest and all of that. And here they were there, good guys, doing what they were supposed to do. They probably never thought of themselves as wicked, as evil. And now all of a sudden they realize, no, we're the kind of people that turn away at that moment in time, everything was lost. And they were, they were cut to the heart. Uh, they would have missed out at that point on all that they knew of the promises of God. For instance, Isaiah the prophet speaks of this Christ like this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. They're thinking, we're now going to miss everything that we had hoped for. A just and righteous rule of God among us and we're going to be on the outside of that we're not going to be in that we're going to be on the outside of that we're going to be the judged ones because we've cast him aside we've crucified him we've rejected him this very one upon whose shoulders the very righteous government just government righteous just rule of God is and we're on the outside of that 
They would have known that they would have been throwing away what Isaiah uh, spoke about. Um, he said, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteous shall be the belt of, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and the little child shall lead them. Uh, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Now, all poetic language, but just saying the peace and tranquility of that. I mean, moms, can you imagine letting your kid play with a cobra? Okay, some days. But generally not, right? But to think of the peace of that, to think of the security of that kind of life, and they're realizing, this is the one who's going to bring that. This Christ, this Lord, and we've rejected him. We've thrown him away. We're on the outside of all of that. This uh, passage that that is a, a great passage. I read the beginning of this morning for our call to worship. I read it often as a call to worship. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and don't return, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me, to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing uh, for which I sent it. And so there's great anticipation. This very word of God has come with the purpose of God. And what's his purpose? Isaiah the prophet goes on to say this, For you shall go out in joy and, let, and be led forth in peace, and the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. In other words, Isaiah is saying, Listen, the, the purpose for which I send my word is for your joy. And they're thinking, we're going to miss all of that. We've rejected the Lord of glory. We've rejected the very one who's Lord in Christ. We've rejected the one who's going to bring us joy and peace and comfort and justice and mercy and all of that, the perfection of life. We've rejected all of him. And you're going to sense that that moment in time, that information caught. And it cut them to the heart. See, the first thing the Holy Spirit does when he comes upon us is to make us think and to make us think clearly about that which is true. Because, you see, if we miss that which is true, if whatever moves us isn't truth, then it's simply being moved by a lie. And our affections and our emotions and whatever happens on the inside of us is simply a lie. It's simply wrong. It's simply been, been manipulated by something that isn't true. But the Holy Spirit says, no, I want you to see it. And I want you to see this clearly. I want you to see who this Jesus is. And I want you to see who you are. And I want you to see what rejection of him means. And I want you to see what acceptance of him means. 
And it, when that truth comes to bear, it's more than just an objective assent, oh yes, that must be right. That's a deep-seated, emotional, intellectual conviction of the heart. It's a, it, it, they were moved. And that's clear that they were moved. It's sort of the difference between the doctor who brings in the x-ray and says, here's some information. You've got cancer. And the response of the patient who's getting that information. The, the, the doctor, oh, there might be some emotion, but, but the doctor's providing information. It's fairly objective. I see it on the picture. Look at this. Here it is. But if you're the one or the one you love is the one who's receiving this information, it cuts you to the heart. All of a sudden, everything changes. All of a sudden, you're seeing things clearly. All of a sudden, you're looking at a path that, oh no, this is what's going to come on the basis of this. It's sort of like the banker that sits with the businessman and says to him very objectively, I've looked at the numbers and you've exhausted your line of credit. And the businessman says, oh no, I'm bankrupt. It cuts him to the heart. Nothing's the same after that. It's like the student who meets with the registrar and the registrar says, well, your scores aren't high enough to get into your program. And that cuts the student to the heart, those facts, because dreams are now shattered. It's the difference between the newscaster who quite objectively says, oh, a hurricane has gone through South Florida. And those very same facts cut to the heart of the one who knows people who live right there. Right? When we see things clearly, there's a cut to the heart. You know that expression, ignorance is bliss? I have a horrible sense of direction. I should never be allowed out. On my own. I just, I don't. You put me in a, I travel all over the place and I'm lost continuously. I've gone in reverse more in my life than forward. Uh, you know, when I rent a car, I'm the only person that wonders how good the reverse is. Uh, because I spend as much time, I think, in reverse as not. I just have a horrible sense of direction. In fact, I can think I'm going in the right direction and, 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 and think I'm making great time. Uh, it's a pleasant trip. But then I find out I'm not. I'm completely lost. And panic sets in. Ignorance is, is really bliss. But then you see the Spirit of God comes, not necessarily. I suppose he helps me when I get lost in that regard, too. I pray more than most drivers. Um, but the Spirit comes and makes it clear. And it cuts to the heart. If you think things are well and you've been told peace when there is no peace, it's only a false peace. The Spirit comes and says, no, 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 let me, let me come down. Let me tell you what it's really like inside your heart. Cut to the heart. And so here they are. Uh, they, they realize all of a sudden who they are. They realize what they've done. They realize that they're completely lost. They're outside of who God is. And so they say to Peter and the other disciples, what can we do? You get a sense of desperation. You get a sense that, that is there anything we can do? Can we reverse this in any particular way? And then the, the, the wonderful words of Peter. Because you see, if God were simply judge, if God were simply one who would cast aside, they, they would say, no, there isn't anything you can do. You've already done it. You've killed the Lord of glory. But he doesn't. He says, repent.